We're on the air. Let's see how the broadcast gets from the studio to your home. I just want to hear the music, that's all. Is it too complicated to just keep my records in the category, okay? Just put the rock and roll in with the rock and roll. Put the R&B in with the R&B. I mean, you're not going to put Charlie Parker in with the rock and roll, would you? What does it all mean? I don't know. Who is Charlie Parker? Yes! Sounds Visual is a podcast featuring interviews and long-form conversations with DJs, crate diggers, record collectors, vinyl enthusiasts, beat makers, producers, and musicians. Welcome back to another episode of Sounds Visual Radio. My name is Justin. Thanks for tuning back in. Today on the eighth episode of the How Deep Is Your Crate series, we talked to Dylan May about Ruby Andrews' 1972 album, Black Ruby, released on the Zodiac label. The album only featured one minor national hit, but has since come to be revered as an exemplary classic of deep Chicago soul. You can currently find Black Ruby streaming on Spotify and Apple Music. All right, let's talk to Dylan about why Black Ruby is so treasured amongst soul and funk crate diggers. So yeah, I caught a copy of this record fairly recently. It was right around Christmas, I want to say. It had definitely been on my list for a long time. It's really not a record that you see too often anymore. And really, I don't know if you ever saw it too often. It was always kind of a hard record to cop. And so I was excited. And, you know, sometimes these ultra rare records can be disappointing when you spin them because as much as they're hyped, they may not always live up to that. And this is one of those records that like, for me anyway, definitely lived up to the hype and transcended the hype. I mean, it's just an incredible, incredible record. It has all the ingredients of a perfect soul record. There's a killer band, uh, superb songwriting, and Ruby Andrews has a voice that like can cut through glass and tempered steel. And the production is raw, but right. Like it's it's that nice mix of it's not too clean, but it's still well produced. If that makes any sense. I was reading a little bit about Ruby Andrews yesterday, and I have to give a shout out to. There's a guy named Aaron Cohen who wrote a book called Move On Up about Chicago soul music. And it's a great, great read if you're interested in the history of Chicago soul. And one of the cool things that he did in that book was tie the Chicago soul movement to what was happening in the community in Chicago at that time. And so some of the information I got about her, she was born Ruby Stackhouse and she was originally from Mississippi. Uh, She moved to Chicago when she was nine and lived in a cold water flat on the South side 
And one thing that I had forgotten, I read this book the last summer, but she went to Hyde Park High School with Minnie Ripperton. They were classmates and, and they sang together in music class, which is amazing. And she started performing as a teenager on the South Side and the Bohemian North Side Old Town scenes. Uh, Old Town was a really famous scene in Chicago at that time because, like I say, it was Bohemian and people just gathered and it was kind of the epicenter of the hippie 60s thing that was happening all over the country at that time in Chicago. The the Old Town scene was the center of that. And her biggest hit was not from this record. It was from the record before this, which I don't have. Uh, it was called Casanova, Your Playing Days Are Over. on the, the small Chicago indie label Zodiac, which is the same label that Black Ruby's on. So Black Ruby was produced by Rick Williams, uh, who also produced for Heaven and Earth and Starview. And then the Brothers of Soul, which is an interesting arranging group. I think they're mostly known for 45s um, and singles work. I don't, I don't think they ever put out a record w under their own name. Their names are Fred Bridges, Richard Knight, Bobby Eaton. Um, and then it was arranged by Mike Terry, who arranged tons of soul records, the Capitals, the OJs, Garland Green, Etta James, the Moments, et cetera, et cetera. The most interesting thing, or one of the interesting things about this record is that it actually was not recorded in Chicago. I mean, it really is representative of the Chicago sound, but it was not recorded in Chicago. It was recorded in Memphis at Jerry Butler's Universal Studios. So an interesting thing to think about, I'm not sure it doesn't say who the musicians are on the record, so I'm not sure if they used a combination of Chicago and Memphis musicians, um, but it still sounds very, very much like a Chicago soul record of its era. So the album cover is really cool. Uh, it's a it's a gem design and her faces, different photos of her are in the different facets of the gem. It's kind of psychedelic, but not like preciously so. And I love on the back cover, they have a picture of her in silhouette and it says all rubies are not red and not is underlined just you know to make the point this record is black ruby so and kind of to the point of uh that book by aaron cohen when i listen to music from a certain region in a certain time period i definitely think about what was happening in that region at that time um so in chicago in 1972 the city's reeling from Nixonian rollbacks of progressive civil rights legislation and social programs. Fred Hampton had been assassinated in 1969 by the Chicago PD. Uh, there's actually a movie that just came out about that story right now called Judas and the Black Messiah. And the infiltration of Black Panthers and other radical social movements by COINTELPRO and the FBI and J. Edgar Hoover, that whole period of time. And so the city's kind of going through a rough time. But then also you have this inspiration from these the Chicago soul and funk scene because you have Curtis Mayfield, you have Jerry Butler, you have the Brunswick label, you have Baby Huey, the Shylights, Pharaohs, Charles Stepney, Terry Collier. All of that is all happening right around this same time. And so when you hear a record like Black Ruby, like I say, you think about the societal situation around it and then how 
it was really competitive. It, I mean, it must have felt very competitive to make a great record then because you had all these great records coming out all the time. And everybody was always trying to one-up each other. And of course, a record like Black Ruby was on a small label and I don't think there were tons and tons of copies made. So it certainly didn't ascend to the level of of popularity of like a Curtis Mayfield record or a Jerry Butler record, but uh, I would put it in that same category. The only reason you know it's underground is because the production. It sounds, like I say, more raw. You can tell that they didn't have as much money to make this record, which almost makes it more interesting. So if I was going to go through the tracks one by one, um, number one is uh, side one, cut one. I want to be whatever it takes to please you. Killer opener, um, some nice horns and strings with a, a funky groove underneath it. Some interesting production techniques that work on this record. There's like a, a fade out of the vamp section, and then it fades back in for like 20 seconds, and then it fades out again. I'm not exactly sure why they did that, but that's that's the first song. Track two, side one, Overdose of Love, is a really cool like stop-start funk soul groove, and it's one of those tracks, it kind of messes with the listener's perception of where one is, which is always fun, you know, as a musician for me anyway. Side one, the love I need. It's a, a beautiful, like, doo wop style throwback. It sounds more like old school vocal group RB, like the Dells or any number of other vocal groups from Chicago or around the country.
number four, track four on side one is one of my favorites, Didn't I Fool You. It's it's a funk monster. And the strings on that track. I'm not always a fan of string arrangements. There's quite a bit of, of strings on this record. But when they hit like that, I'm down. Like it's it's a really cool string arrangement on that song, especially. The last song on side one is probably the most well-known song. You made a believer out of me because it's been sampled to death. And it's probably the reason that this album continues to resonate for a lot of people in like the, the post hip hop era. Um, and it's, it's a really cool song. The, the piano line is really dope. And, and I like how it kind of insinuates a, a major minor modulation in that, that main piano line. And then the drums, like, play that song loud on a quality stereo and you can hear hip hop like 10 years before it entered the mainstream just just with the drums alone Side two, track one, Good and Plenty, is kind of a funny song. It's that certain type of like early 70s soul song that shouts sexual innuendo from the rooftops uh, with a smile and a wink. And there's a cool horns and strings arrangement against these like loud hand clap breakdowns on that track, which is a nice way to start the second side. On side two, You uh, Old Boo Boo You, it's a silly title, but it's maybe like the funkiest track on the whole record. You
really hard in the pocket, like slightly behind drums, almost sounds like a precursor to like the neo soul style playing drums, a little bit like that. And then those drums sit underneath like this really sinister, like wah wah bass part. and a harmonica, like a wailing harp, which is the only time harmonica pops up on the record and kind of is a cool signifier of being a bit of an homage to earlier style of Chicago blues, but then also they're recording it in Memphis. So it's got a little bit of a Southern flavor. Um, that's kind of an interesting piece on that, on that track. And then her vocals, uh, Ruby Andrews' vocals on that track are really growly and, and just gritty and cool. Track three on side two, Just Loving You. Uh, it's a real like sparkling Windy City Soul joint that I feel like I was listening to that and I was like, this could have been like a theme song for a, a 70s soap opera or a comedy or, or a film. I can see, you know, some some grainy <laughs> some grainy film of somebody walking through the city and I don't know. It's just there's it's got a little bit of a uh, not necessarily a soundtrack vibe, but I just feel like it could have been a theme song for a show. Track four on side two, another favorite, um, My Love Is Coming Down. Uh, it's another really heavy funk track, and it's driven by this guitar bass riff interplay. And it's probably as close to funk rock, like real heavy funk rock as this record gets. And it's got these like gritty stabs of organ and uh, distorted guitar. So of course I dig the hell out of that because I always like the raw heavy shit. track i feel like is i don't know i'm interested to know what the thought process is of why it was included as the last track but i find it quite significant that it's the last track on this incredible album um it's hound dog and like these the the early rock standard and ruby andrews reclaims it from elvis and from whiteness itself i feel like the way that she does it um and frames it through the lens of 70s funk. So the song doesn't even, uh, you can tell by the lyrics that it's the same song, but it's not particularly reminiscent of the version that people are familiar with. You and 
it encapsulates like the totality of the album up to that point, like blues, soul, funk, rock, stirred into this amalgamation that only really exists on this record, on Black Ruby. Like I say, I I listen to tons and tons of records, and this one stands out. I can't think of I can't think of any peers that it has in 1972 or even just the early 70s in general. I, I just can't think of many other records that sound like Black Ruby. It's the perfect closer to a, a, a perfect masterpiece. And uh, I'm just glad we're talking about it because it's a badass fucking record. <laughs> and I, you know, I was thinking because I picked this record, that's why I went back and listened to it track by track. I don't think there's a bad song on this record. Most records have a couple eh songs and I didn't really find any of the songs on this record to be to be subpar, which is always, always a treat. It's a soul record through and through, but I think the thing that's interesting about it is that it hits harder than a lot of funk records from that same time. To me, it sounds a bit like Aretha and Coco Taylor with Uptown solo arrangements, and then Funkadelic is like the backing band. You know, <laughs> that sounds like a strange description, and it is, it's, it's a bit of a strange record. I, I haven't heard too many records like it. There's a lot of different influences, and for being, Ostensibly a soul record is really funky. I mean, really, really, really funky. For an archive of Sounds Visual Radio episodes, please visit our website at soundsvisualradio.com. You can find us on Instagram at soundsvisualmedia. You can find us on Facebook at soundsvisualpdx. Or you can email us at soundsvisualradio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.